Very good evening, everybody, and welcome to a what promises to be a wonderful night. Our special guest tonight is the lovely Anne Traherne, who is currently running the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre in Edinburgh. Anne, very good evening to you. Thank you, Laurie, and thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, thank you for taking up the opportunity too, because these nights uh, have been so well received throughout the last four or five months now. Different people talking uh, on their passions, which really comes across. So really looking forward to it. The Arthur Conan Doyle Centre, a very established um, building society, I was doing a little bit of background work today, and do you know what? <clears throat> Us English, <laughs> we we don't appreciate the works for spiritualism that's come out of Scotland. We, you know, ah. there's a real... Ah, <laughs> I... <laughs> Please feel free to stop me if I do that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> In my defence, my sister-in-law comes from Coatbridge, so <laughs> ne never mind. She'll get she'll get over it. <laughs> and she's watching. Oh dear. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. You know, I was reading up on the um, SPR, the Scottish Physical Research Society. Absolutely yes. fascinating and some real luminaries of uh, spiritualism associated with that. Um, Stainton Moses, as we were discussing just before we went on air, Massey, Gurney, Wedgwood, Robert Angus Smith, Sir William Crooks, Sir Oliver Lodge. My goodness, yeah. you know, here we are thinking, you know, we're the centre of spiritualism, and I'm beginning to think, oh, no, we're not. <laughs> I've got to move. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, you know, there is a there is something to do with the Celtic blood that um, is is conducive to mediumship in some way. Um, so you'll find that a lot of the the best mediums from the past were they were either Scottish or Irish. Um, so this Celtic strain uh, seems to have something that's conducive to mediumship. That's my take on it. No, I, I very much agree. I'm very much one for it. I'm very interested in actual, like, um, physical locations. I get very drawn to anywhere where there's granite, and that's not a conscious thought. It's something I've worked out. The places I feel happiest are bedrock of granite. Mm. Now, what the explanation is, I don't know, but one day I will find out. Um, but also that Celtic... You know, because you're steeped in law, you, you, the connection with the ancestors is so strong. And that's something that uh, maybe gets lost in different societies. But that ancestor link is, is really, really important to our spiritual understanding and uh, well-being also. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And bring me back to that point about um, something to do with the location and the a geometrics um, of a location because I'm going to talk about the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre but that um, geographical location that you've spoken about I think is is uh, very pertinent. There we go see that was unrehearsed everybody. <laughs> it was. <laughs> you must be psychic. Oh no. <laughs> Shh, don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> 
Anne, I could talk for ages with you, uh, but that would deny everybody watching the privilege and the pleasure of hearing from you direct. So I'm going to tactfully withdraw and hand the evening over to you and looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Laurie. And once again, thank you for inviting me and, and uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for, for being online. So as Laurie said, my name is Andrew Hearn and I'm chair of the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre. And it seems an appropriate place to start. So if I can share my screen, I shall find you a picture of the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre. Just give me a moment. And it should come up. That's up, Anne. Is it up? Okay. It is indeed. Okay, as long as you can see it, because there we go. Um, I can see it now as well. So, so here we are. Uh, this is the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre in Edinburgh, and we're very proud of our building. It's a magnificent example of a Victorian townhouse. It was built originally as a family home, would you believe, all six floors of it. And it's one of only a few still remaining intact in Edinburgh city centre. Most of these large townhouses have long since been turned into flats and apartments. So what do we do here? Well, we're a spiritual centre for the benefit of the mind, body, spirit. So we do things like yoga, tai chi, spiritual development classes. And of course, we have a spiritualist church in the building. But we aim to be a resource for the whole community. So we welcome people of all religions and none at all. We're also home to the arts. So we have art and music and, of course, creative writing. The Arthur Conan Doyle Centre must offer creative writing. But tonight I'm going to talk about how the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre came to be. And in doing that, so I'm going to be referring to this book. Uh, this is my book. Um, Arthur and me and it does exactly what it says on the tin as you can see there the true story of Arthur Conan Doyle communicating from beyond the grave culminating in the foundation of the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre in Edinburgh. Now I gave this talk a fortnight ago to a group of academics from one of the Edinburgh universities they asked me to do a lecture on it and at this point of the presentation, I said to my audience, you know, now I'm aware that I'm speaking to academics, not like this audience tonight, who I'm sure are much more familiar with these things. But I said to the academics, if I were sitting at this point where you are, and I've just made that statement about Arthur Conan Doyle, I would be thinking, this is absolute nonsense. This is impossible. And probably this woman's lost her mind. And let me tell you that when this happened to me, I was thinking along the same lines myself. So let me just start by telling you a little bit about my background. So Laurie, if you can stop sharing that for a moment so they can see me. Um, back in the uh, 1990s, uh, my background is in the corporate world. So I was a senior manager in, in banking and finance, and I was very successful. I crashed through many glass ceilings in this man's world to get right to the top because I was a workaholic. I was driven, determined, successful in that, in that career. And that was until 
it all crashed down round about me and I had to leave that life behind. And that was because of premonitions. And these premonitions were dramatic, but also traumatic when the later came true. Now, as you, if you've read some of my blurb, you'll also see that I'm a psychical investigator and I have been for the last 20 years. So I now know that premonitions tend to happen in the hypnagogic or the hypnopopic state. Now that's either when you're just falling asleep at night or when you're waking up in the morning. And it's that in-between stage between waking and sleeping that your mind is most receptive to psychic phenomena, spiritual contact, intuition, or indeed premonitions, whatever you may want to call it. But it's that state that makes you more receptive. And that's usually when premonitions um, come into being. But that wasn't the case with me. My premonitions happened when I was busy, when I was working, when I was sitting at my desk, or when I was driving my car. Indeed, the first premonition happened, the first flash of an image happened when I was driving the car. And I was driving between Edinburgh and Glasgow on the M8 motorway, and I was driving at speed. And the only reason to tell you that was I wasn't dawdling or daydreaming. I was focused on driving fast, as is my want still, I'm afraid, driving too fast, um, when suddenly this flash of this image came into my mind. And I can only describe it as a blood and guts image. It was dead bodies and blood over the floor. And I immediately thought, oh, what is that? And I dismissed it as soon as it dropped into my head. And I couldn't think why it was there in the first place. I, I'm not the sort of person who likes um, gory movies or, or scary films or horror, horror films. I don't like any of that stuff. And I couldn't think if I had read something or seen anything about this. So why should this image suddenly drop into my head? However, I dismissed it as soon as it dropped in and disregarded it and carried on regardless. And over the following weeks, these flashes of images became more and more prevalent, more and more frequent and more and more detailed until it was as if they all sort of joined up in my head and it was as if a videotape was, was playing in my head. And as well as the videotape, there was this overwhelming urge and driving desire to do something or tell someone. So I did. Uh, one day as I was driving into our head office building with the videotape having played in my head again and this drive to do something or tell someone, spontaneously there sitting at her desk was the head of training and development department. Um, I was always in our head office building before anybody else because I had to get ahead of the game and clearly she was that morning as well and spontaneously I just said I need to speak to someone about it just don't need you to do anything just listen um, she looked a bit shocked and a bit um, perturbed but agreed and 
I remember telling her that I had been getting these visions in my head. And I told her that there was going to be another Hungerford. Now, Hungerford, a town in England, and a few years before this, had suffered uh, a man walking through the town, shooting people at random who were just going about their everyday life. And so I told her I had this vision of this gunman and there was going to be another Hungerford. Now, I can tell you, if someone told me that, I would be phoning the men in the white coats to come and take them away. But surprisingly, she took me at my word and she said to me, you know, oh, that's terrible. I think we should go to the police. And I said to her, I can't go to the police because I don't know where it is. I do know that it's going to take place in Scotland and not England, like Hungerford. I do know that it's going to take place inside a building, not outside, like Hungerford, again. And I remember saying to her, I can see the gunman, and I described him as being like Rambo, in that he had multiple guns about his person. He had belts of bullets. I said, I can see the building. And it's got rows, two levels and rows of windows and a low level roof. And I can see in the building and there's lots of desks and people sitting at desks and this man walking through the building, shooting people at random. At that point, she said, oh, my God, I know why you've got that image. Now, that really surprised me because I didn't know why I had the image. So I said, why? And she said, it's our building. It's our head office building. It's two levels. It's got rows of windows. It's got lots of people sitting at desks. And she said, you know that Roy Ingman? I've always thought he was a bit odd. And did you know he had a gun? Now, believe it or not, she was referring to the head of HR. And I didn't know he had a gun. But I had to say to her, no, it's not our building. I would recognise our building and I don't recognise this building. I don't know where it is. However, she was now on a roll and she followed up by saying, I think we should tell the board of management. I think we should tell the exec. Now, that filled me with fear because my career had been you know, hard won and fought and achieved at that point. And suddenly I could see it disappearing over the horizon as she was going to confide in the board of management that one of their senior managers was having this vision about gunmen. So I swore her to secrecy. I said, there's nothing we can do. Don't know where it is. I just needed to talk to someone about it. So reluctantly, she agreed. She went back to her work. I went back to mine. And as far as I was concerned, it was forgotten about. The videotape stopped playing in my head. The urge to do someone, tell someone was gone. And it was as if it had never happened at all. I just carried on regardless and went back to work. Until a few days later, and I was working in Glasgow and I returned to my car, which was parked in a multi-storey car park. I put the keys into the ignition and the radio burst into life. And that's when I heard it. There's been a shooting in a school in Dunblane. A number of casualties. Many dead. 
Well, I can't tell you how long I sat in that car and cried, but it was hours. It was hours before I could stop my legs shaking enough to be able to drive home. And all the time I was thinking to myself, why did I not know it was a school? How did I have all the other information, but that crucial piece of information that might have helped, I didn't have that bit. And so I was absolutely traumatised. This was a life-changing event for me. And I must have driven home, but I can't remember doing it. And even to this day, I have no recollection of what happened in the next four days after that event. That has gone from my memory still. My husband tells me that uh, he didn't know what to do with me, that I was in a world of my own, that I was non-communicative. I don't remember that at all. What I do remember is the Monday, because Mondays were head office days. Mondays was the day that Everyone knew I would be in head office because it was meetings day. And because I was head of the branch network, so the branch managers reported to regional managers and the regional managers reported to me and I reported to the board. So I would be around the country in various places. But Mondays was the day I was in head office and everyone expected me to be there. So although I was traumatized, quite literally traumatized, and I knew I wasn't functioning the way I needed to as a senior manager in this organization. I needed to present myself as if I was. And so I dusted myself down, straightened myself up, and, and made my way to our head office building once again. And almost like a replay of the week before, I walked through the sea of uh, open plan uh, office with lots of desks to make my way to my office, which was on the far side of the building. And there sitting at her desk again was the head of the training and development department. And her eyes met, she looked at me, but not a word was spoken, but that look said it all. You are the devil incarnate. And I knew at that point that sooner or later I would have to leave, that that information would be divulged and my position would become untenable. How could I maintain that senior position as manager of managers of the whole branch network when people thought I was having these psychic episodes and premonitions of this massacre? So I did leave, uh, but not straight away. I, I was traumatised and I had to find out what was happening with me. I had to find out why I had got this information. What was I supposed to do about it? Could you do anything about it? But because I was literally not function, functioning in this senior managerial role and you had to be at the top of your game in this industry, I chose to hide myself away. And one of the advantages of being head of the whole branch network was I had offices dotted around the country. So I chose to hide myself away in my Glasgow office, office where no one would see that Anne was not quite functioning the way she normally was. And 
I believe there's no such thing as coincidence. I think that did happen for a reason, and that might come back in your questioning. But as I was hiding away um, in my Glasgow office, I opened the Glasgow Herald and, and said, no such thing as coincidence. There in the centre pages was this man. And um, I'm hoping we're sharing again, um, Laurie, and hopefully you can see Professor Archie Roy, Emeritus Professor of Astronomy. This was what the double page spread was about, Professor Archie Roy, but not about his position in Glasgow University. It was about what he was doing in his spare time. He was a ghostbuster. And he was also president of the Society for Psychical Research at that point. And he had set up his own organisation, the Scottish Society of Psychical Research, which Laurie was referring to at the beginning of this talk. So there was me traumatised, looking for help, wondering what was going on, all these questionings, needing authoritative uh, view, assistance. And suddenly there's this double page spread of this man. And I thought, this man is the man I need to find he will be able to explain everything to me. Now, I'm not going to tell you all about the book, but the book tells about how I almost stalked this man until I managed to get in front of him and tell him my story and ask for his help, which indeed I did. And he did help me. He put my mind at rest. He let me know that it wasn't my fault, or that there was nothing I could do about it, and indeed others had received part of that information as well, not just me. He said I had received more than most, and he got very excited because I could corroborate the fact that I had got the information in advance because, of course, I had confided in a colleague, not a friend, but a colleague. However, no sooner had he put my mind at rest than he raised my fear levels again by telling me that I'd probably get more premonitions, which of course I did, and the book tells of that as well. He also promptly recruited me to his organisation, the Scottish Society for Psychical Research, and that's how I became a psychic investigator. And I learned a lot from being amongst the academics, the researchers, the university professors, etc. And however, it was not developing my psychic, my mediumistic, my intuition or whatever it was that had caused the premonitions in the first place. So I had to find another means of doing that. So I started joining um, workshops and um, psychic circles and I joined the spiritualist church. And of course, as is my want, nothing was happening quick enough for me. So I set up my own home circle as well, just to speed things along a bit. But by 2006, a few years after that, I had disbanded two home circles because they had descended into talking shops. They weren't focused enough for me. And I was feeling a bit dejected and I was thinking this whole thing is not working. And I was just going to give up completely. However, by that time, I knew the little voice that spoke to me in my head. And it said, try, try, try again. And 
third time lucky. And this time we'll tell you who to get in your group. Now that intrigued me. So I just said, okay, then go on. I almost threw down the gauntlet and gave them the challenge. And just as the flashes of images came into my head with the premonitions, I started getting images of people dropped into my head that I had to find and recruit them to my group. Even people that I didn't know, they would drop images into my head and I would think, ah, oh, I've got a vague recollection of, of um, seeing this guy five years beforehand at some workshop but didn't know who he was, didn't know his name, didn't know where he came from, didn't know how to contact him. So I had to go through all these investigations to try and find the people that they wanted in my group. And um, just to put this into perspective, the people in my group consisted of a policeman, a social worker, a psychiatric nurse, and I can tell you that's handy when you're dealing with this subject, a librarian, a restaurateur, and me, a banker. And we hired a room in this building. This is the Theosophical Society building in Edinburgh. Uh, we looked for somewhere where we could just hire a room where we could sit every week. They had a spare room available. So we hired a little room in the top floor of their building and we sat on a, a Thursday evening at 6.30. So we became the Thursday group. Very original name, but there you go. We became the Thursday group and we sat each week. Now, um, the book tells about our development and about a lot of physical phenomenon that happened in that circle as well. But generally, we would just sit in silence and sit for spirit and wait and see what happened and see what communication we got. But I was also told that I was to record the events and I was to, to transcribe the recordings which was a laborious process, but I did it religiously every week. And I was told that I was to record it because at some point I would be asked to write a book about it. And of course, this is the book that I'm referring to. But until that point, I was to keep the group confidential until it was time to talk about it, which of course is now. So we would just sit in silence and wait and see what happened. And of course, I was trying to develop my own mental mediumship at that time as well. So I sat in circle and I became aware of a man, the presence of a man, this man. And I described him as, he's a big man, he's tall, well-built, elderly, looks a bit like a grandfather to me. Now, of course, I'm sure this audience knows that in mental mediumship, the, the medium will give a few pieces of information such as that and look for someone to recognise this general description before they go further with the next piece of evidence or information. So I was looking for my group to recognise this vague description I had given of this man. And they were all sitting, shaking their heads, saying, no, don't recognise him, don't know who that is. So I let him go. And the next week, he turns up again. Here's this man again. And this time, when he was back, I tuned in a little further to see if I could sense who he was. And I realised that he wasn't a grandfather at all. 
I had just assumed he was a grandfather because he looked like one to me. And now as I tuned in, I realised that he wasn't, there wasn't that relationship between any of the group. But he also showed me Surgeon's Hall in Edinburgh, which I recognised. I, I am from Edinburgh. And he was able to convey to me that he was a doctor. So this is where my logical brain kicked in, which logic is no good at all when you're dealing with mediumship. You may remember that there were two members of my group who worked with the NHS, one being a psychiatric nurse. So, of course, I said to Jim, the psychiatric nurse, that man's back again and he must be a, a colleague of yours. You must have met him. He lets me know he was a doctor and he worked in Surgeon's Hall. You must know him. But Jim was shaking his head saying, no, I don't understand who that is. I haven't met anyone like that. And now we now know, or I now know, that Dr Joseph Bell, the inspiration for Sherlock Holmes, was president of the Royal College of Surgeons at that time and worked in Surgeons Hall. And Arthur Conan Doyle worked as his assistant in Surgeons Hall. But I didn't know that then, so I sent him away again. And another week goes by and that man's back again. So he was nothing if not persistent. And this time he shows me Edinburgh University, which again, I recognise. And he also shows me a shelf of books. And he lets me know that he's an author, not only of one book, but of multiple books. So again, my logic kicks in. You may remember I had a librarian in my group. So I said to Mary, this man is for you, Mary. He's an author of not just one book, but several books. He went to Edinburgh University. You must have known him. And coincidentally, Mary was not just any librarian. She was a librarian at one of Edinburgh's universities. So it all, it all fitted as far as I was concerned. But Mary's shaking her head saying, no, I don't know who that that man is. I, I just don't recognise him. I've never met anyone who's authored a shelf of books. Now, in Arthur Conan Doyle's own book, The New Revelation, let me um, read a quote. He says, the spirits have the greatest difficulty in getting names through to us, and it is this which makes many of their communications so vague and unsatisfactory. They will talk all around a thing, yet never get the name which would clinch the matter. Well, he did try. I sent him away again that week, but the next week he's back again. And this time he's showing me King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Well, I thought my mediumship had lost the plot completely because I couldn't understand why I was being shown mythical characters when I was trying very hard to place this man and get his message across to someone in my group. And all the time, my group members were shaking their heads saying, we don't recognize him. Equally, they were telling me, I think this man is for you, Anne. Well, at this point, when he showed me this vision of King Arthur, he also was able to communicate with me and said, I am a knight of the realm. Well, that clinched it for me. I didn't know anyone who had been knighted. So, I sent him away again. Another week goes by 
And here's this man back again, who I was beginning to feel sorry for because he was a nice man, a kindly man, and I was failing miserably in getting his message across to someone in the group because nobody knew who he was. And this time, he shows me Sherlock Holmes. Well, I was really dejected by this point. I thought, here is another fictional character. Why on earth am I seeing fictional characters? It just doesn't make sense at all. And so I decided not to tell my group at all what I was seeing. But they asked me, is that man back again? And I was saying, yes. And they said, what, what's he showing you this week? And I said, I'm not going to tell you. It doesn't really matter. I don't know who he is. I can't get his message across. And they said, no, go on, tell us, tell us what is he showing you? And I said, reluctantly, he's showing me Sherlock Holmes. And the librarian said, I think it's Arthur Conan Doyle. And she went through the clues. He went to Edinburgh University. He, he was at Surgeon's Hall. He wrote multiple books. He gave you the name Arthur when he was trying to get his name across, King Arthur and Knights of the Round Table. He wrote Sherlock Holmes. Just not sure if he was knighted or not, she said. Well, believe it or not, none of our group knew whether he was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle or not. And this was before the days of the smartphones. So we all rushed away home that night to check on the internet if Arthur Conan Doyle was indeed Sir Arthur Conan Doyle or not. And of course, he was. So you can imagine the excitement when my group realised that Arthur Conan Doyle was communicating with us. And although I was going along with that, and that all made sense, and nobody could have manipulated that because basically we didn't know that information and didn't know who this man was. I was waiting for the corroboration of this. And you'll find if you read the book that throughout the book, I'm always looking for corroboration of the evidence. And I found it in the most unexpected source and quite independent of the group. So, um, I'm not going to go into all of that tonight because um, we're just about out of time. But let me tell you that um, in, in the book, um, Arthur made his presence known to our group throughout the number of years that was following. And very soon after that, he told us that we had to find a building and somewhere else to sit. And just as he began dropping clues into his own identity, he started dropping clues in about the building. And he was saying things like, um, you're going to get a building in, and it's in the West End, and it's a townhouse, and it's on a corner site, and it has several floors. And at one point, I was told, they're rolling out the red carpet for you. And another evening, I was told from one of my team, it looks like a scene from Gone with the Wind because it's got a magnificent staircase in it. Another week, I was told, it must be for you, Anne, because I can see you standing on the doorstep with the keys in your hand. And at the same time, I was joking with my group and saying, listen, if someone's going to hand me the keys to a townhouse in Edinburgh's West End, I will gladly accept it. 
Now, this communication took place over a six-year period until eventually we found the building that he was directing us towards. And so he got his building, he got the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre, here it is with its for sale sign up at the time that we were looking at it. And um, here is the magnificent staircase that uh, he spoke about. And I got that corroboration that I spoke about um, because he wanted it named the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre. And that came from a completely independent source to let me know that, yes, it was Arthur Conan Doyle he was communicating. And yes, this was the building he wanted and he wanted it named the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre. So um, that's our reception area, again, with this magnificent staircase. And uh, you will find all of that information in my book, Arthur and Me. It is available from the arthurconandoylecentre.com, as you can see on this slide. And um, if you want a signed copy, then contact them and I will happily send one out to you. Thank you. I think, Laurie, you can put me back on now, hopefully. Um, <coughs> riveted. How fascinating. <laughs> You're back. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely wonderful. Do you know what? That makes so much sense to me. It really does. You know, mediumship is about providing evidence. And it's not just the medium's responsibility to provide evidence of a sitter. When it comes to cases of dealing with our own lives as with your uh, journey there that way that evidence was presented you know <clears throat> let me ask you if in your circle arthur conan doyle appeared and said hello i'm arthur conan doyle and i want you to do all this what would be your reaction have been that's exactly the point that is exactly the point laurie you've hit the nail on the head if he had turned up and went hi i'm arthur conan doyle i would have said no no, you're not. I've just made that up. I've just, um, and and so I always find that that the spirit world there's there's such an intelligence there. Um, so you know, they they took us and and me in particular one step of the way. You know, clues dropped in. You know, drip fed one by one by one. And you know, as I was saying um, at the, when we were chatting earlier, you know. All we have to do is be sensitive enough to receive those and follow the clues. And if you follow the clues, you get to the end result. And he was clever enough not to turn up and go, hello, I'm Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, he dropped in the clues so that we had to work that out. And he did exactly the same with the building. But it was six years. It was six years of clues that we followed until we finally got the building that he wanted. That is the frustrating thing, isn't it? It's, uh, there's no time in spirit. Well, that's fine for them. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> here on Earth. <laughs> very, very frustrating. And in fact, because, you know, um, when he started saying you have, to find a, you have to find somewhere else to sit, that was the first thing. And we were thinking, well, why? Because we're fine. We've, we've hired the space here and we're fine here. No, you have to get another building. Um, and I was saying, well, just tell us. Where, where, you know, just tell us where we have to go and we'll go. Um, and and the, the response would be, you'll know it when you find it. Well, to me, that was so frustrating. I hate 
ambiguous statements like that. And then the clues started dripping in, drip feeding one by one um, and, until they all fitted together and we found the building that he wanted. And also there must be an element that I'm a very big one for energies. Um, mm. I like to delve into the energies behind the statement and find out what's going on that way. Um, but there must have been the element there also of this would come together when everything is correct and in order. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, when we finally found the building, um, I realised that it wasn't available when he started telling us about it. You know, it, it was only available towards the end of that six-year period. So at the beginning when he was saying you have to find a building and that was the building he wanted it, it wasn't for sale it wasn't available so so we had to wait now we didn't know we had to wait but um he didn't lead us to it until it was available for us to buy and but sorry sorry yeah but also from you and your team's side there's that bonding time that learning that growth time and although we're always big ones for saying, you know, we don't prophesize. Spirit have that advanced knowledge and they can see these timelines and everything converging to that point where they know that is the right time. Because any, any sooner things could have fallen away and denied the goal. How yeah. interesting. How yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. And, and, and coincidentally, you know, my background is in banking and finance, as you know, um, and the building had been repossessed. So, so it, previously it was a, a hotel. Um, it was a pretty um, grotty backpackers hotel, um, and it had gone bust with the with the financial uh, crunch of two thousand and eight, and it had been derelict for years um, and been repossessed by the bank. So that was the only way we would have been able to buy it in the first place, uh, because of those conditions. Um, but, um, yeah, so it wasn't available earlier for us. And uh, <clears throat> I love the makeup of your circle as well that was spirit-led because you, the characters that you've described there have all got those analytical minds. Each of their fields requires them to not only deal with what's in front of them, but to actually go behind the scenes and find out what's going on. Yes, exactly. And as I mean, I haven't given you obviously all yeah. of the book. There's lots of more more information, but as well as being told who I was to get in the circle, and I had you know it was a challenge to me to obviously find them. And and no sooner had I found them, but what one I was told it was a physical group. After I found them, I was told this is going to be a physical group, um, which I had never been so dis disappointed in in my life I have to say but anyway <laughs> that was what I was told um, and the second point I was told was um, you know they've not been chosen for their psychic mediumistic abilities that was a prerequisite they had been chosen for their ability to speak because at some point in the future they would have to do this what I'm doing now they would have to uh, communicate this message because the the resin detra the bottom line of all this you know why the big question why why did all this happen well because arthur conan doyle is i believe is still trying to get his message across he he dedicated his life 
to travelling in the world and throughout the UK getting his message across that there was life after death. And I believe he's still doing that yet. And I also don't believe I'm unique in this. I'm sure he will communicate through any available channel to get his message across. But this is one of the reasons he chose this particular group was their ability to speak like this and get the message across when he told us it was right to do that. Indeed, and that is such a uh, good trait to be able to foster and encourage because I have seen myself a lot of very competent and capable mediums who lack that <clears throat> ability to stand in front of a, a, an audience or a presentation because it's just not in their character, you know, yes. and yes. it's you're looking at not just the mediumistic skills, you're looking at the social skills, the way of life, the understandings, the freedom from uh, impressed theologies in the history. So it's quite a lot goes in to getting somebody into that correct state to work on that level. And for you to bring in that entire group with those necessary qualities, I mean, that is totally spirit-led. You know, no, I don't care what anybody says. That is spirit saying, these are the ones because soon we want to be there. That's right. And 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 the other factor they had impressed upon me was um, that they are trying sort of both ends of the spectrum. The the um, uh, the girls in a cabin in in you know upstate New York, um, and, you know the blunt instrument of um, fairly. Um, ignorant um, farmers and things like that, to Swedenborg and the brilliance of that. And, and they were saying it still hasn't worked. The message has still not got across. So we're, we're selecting, and, and this, this was um, uh, not very impressive from my point of view, but we're, we're selecting average people that, that everyone can identify with. And that's why I was reading out the, um, uh, the, the careers you know, a policeman, a social worker, um, a psychiatric nurse, a restaurant, a bank. So it was this diverse spread of occupations that people can say, well, actually, that's a reasonable person. If that person's running a restaurant or if that person's a policeman, they're sensible individuals. They're not these, um, you know, these weird mediums <laughs> that, everybody <laughs> that, that everybody talks about. So I think there was part of that involved as well. There was a credibility um, of um, status and position that people could relate to. That same, I mean, that that could have been me, in other words. So they can they could relate to uh, the group. Very much so, because we do see it. Sadly, um, you can put on ninety nine absolutely well credible mediums who come from a variety of walks of life who can do a very good and adequate demonstration of mediumship. And then you get the one, you know, who bounces on, dressed as a unicorn and saying, I'm from the planet wherever. And everybody's tarred with that brush. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, I know. I know. Uh, it's very difficult to get over the uh, the reputation, uh, which is, you know, another thing about the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre and this, this prestigious building that we were able to get. And so, you know, I ended up, running it um, and I wanted to change the perception of spiritualism and mediumship generally and to bring it up a level to make it 
you know, more professional, more um, uh, have a reputation for quality. That's that's what I've aimed to do at the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre to 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 have a reputation that um, will hold us in good stead. And I think that's happened. I think uh, we're known quite extensively now and have a good reputation. And that just adds to the, the credibility and hopefully makes people, and when I say people, it's about the general public. I'm sure your audience are, um, I'm preaching to the converted here, um, but as a, a fortnight ago, I was speaking to a group of academics at one of Edinburgh's university. So it's the general public that we need to bring with us. And to do that, we have to be credible and, and, and seem to be so as well. Very much. Yeah, very much. I, I, a personal thought of my own with uh, some of the academia, the fact that they're trying to totally analyse and get that um, proof, you know, I've got it in my hand, I can look at it, touch it, examine it, actually blocks some of yeah. the progress progression that would be available. But spiritualism is for everybody. <clears throat> And it's got to be, we've got to make it more freer, more accessible, um, doing what you've done in some of your works there in the investigating and exposing mm -hmm. the ones who are not so credible, uh, but supportive of the ones who are credible also. And yeah. it's about education, education, education. Uh, I do sometimes get a bit saddened when pre this time, the COVID era, I was picking up very much so with spiritualism. We were on what I called the message go round. Uh, every night there was another demonstration of mediumship, and it meant not what it should when it came out to people. You know, if somebody, to me, I always say this if a medium presents you with enough evidence of bringing through somebody who we know is no longer here, what we call dead. What does that mean to you? And that message was getting lost. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's turned out to be more about the medium than, than about the, the spirit contact. Yeah, that's right. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. I, I needed to remind you, not being selfish, but you were talking about the, ge <laughs> the geophysical location. Yes, I'm going to bring it. Yes, coming back to, to that point, because people would say to me, well, why did it have to be that building? Why not another building that was available? You know, um, uh, and I believe that is because of the the geophysical phenomenon that I now know exists in the building, and um, I I believe there are certain locations in this world, and normally they are. Um, I, I'm from Roslyn, you know, so I went. You know, I'm from Roslyn and used to in the famous chapel um, at lunchtime from, from school, from primary school. So, you know, Roslyn is uh, from the Da Vinci Code uh, on all the ley lines and the rose line, and it's, it's, it's a sacred place where you can feel the energies. Um, but it doesn't have to, and, and most churches are on, on these ley lines and, you know, Stonehenge and... Maze How and you know there's ancient sites 
where the uh, geophysical um, phenomenon has created a special energy. But these actually happen in buildings too. And I'm not sure I was actually aware of that until we got the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre and realised that there was a special energy going on actually in the building. And that energy is conducive to what we do. That energy can be utilised and enhance the, the mediumship. It enhances what we do. Um, I can go into a whole other topic in psychic phenomenon and show you pictures of our vortex. Uh, we actually have a vortex in the building. Um, and I believe I showed you a picture of our wonderful staircase. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, this beautiful staircase that winds up. Well, in actual fact, the architecture of the building assists the energy. And this spiral happens within the staircase. And um, you can actually stand into the energy and move out of it again and feel that vortex of energy going on in the building. Now, I believe that's, that's earth energies, that's, you know, that's coming from beneath the building, but the actual architecture of the building somehow encapsulates it and enhances it. And it can be quite forceful at times. Sometimes it's, it's a bigger force than others. Um, but people, people walk in, um, you know, unannounced into the building, walk in and go, oh, you know, they can suddenly feel that they're, they're walking into it. So there are other things about the building as well. But I believe one of the reasons we were led to that particular building was because of these um, geometric energies that, was, that would be useful and conducive to uh, mediumistic work. How interesting. I remember reading <laughs> many years ago, I think it was Battalions of Heaven, and in there they were describing in the spirit land building a temple of rest and reinvigorating for people traversing the different levels. And they had to keep going back and taking it down and putting it back up because each time the building shape was just slightly askew until finally the building fitted the energy. How yeah. interesting. How well, interesting. I, I, I believe that's why he wanted that particular building um, was because of the architecture. It enhanced the existing energy that was there already. And if I can just say something else about, you know, another example of the same phenomenon actually happened in the building that we had just left, the Theosophical Society building, where we simply just, you know, we looked for a room to hire somewhere. Where, we, where are we going to sit? And someone said, oh, there's a room available in the Theosophical. We can hire that one. Fine. Okay. We went there. And... Um, a long story short tells all about it in the book, but I, I said that it became a physical circle. Well, Alistair Crowley actually manifest himself in our circle one evening. And I can tell you, I do not want to encounter that ever again. Um, um, but he did. And it was, it was really frightening. Um, and we couldn't understand why... Arthur Conan Doyle's communicating with us and helping our development. And suddenly we're encountered with this strange phenomenon. 
Um, now, I believe all of that was a learning exercise. It was all to assist our development. But in actual fact, what we subsequently discovered, found out, was that actually Alistair Crowley lived in that building. Not only that, but the room we had hired was his room. <laughs> and, and we knew... We knew nothing about that at all. We just hired a room that happened to be available. And then we started getting all this weird phenomenon that was happening in our circle. And, and as I say, it eventually became scary. And we had to figure out why, why is this happening and what's going on? And again, you'll find in the book, there's testimony from the president of the Theosophical Society because I found out that this room had remained locked for several years because of the phenomenon that was happening in the room until we came along looking for something and they went, oh, well, you can, you can rent it. <laughs> you can have the haunted room. Oh, great. Exactly. Oh, ah. <laughs> so, they rent, so they rented this room to us and, and we started experiencing all this weird stuff. Now, she has now corroborated that because they knew this at the time. We didn't, but she knew this at the time. But if you look back at Alistair Crowley's um, background, I believe, and so he, he set that up as, a, as um, the Golden Dawn and, and um, oh, what's his name, uh, Mathers. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. They, they were there and they set that up in Edinburgh in that particular building. And so that particular building as well is conducive to the energies. Now, he was using it for a completely different purpose, but the energy was there nevertheless, and he was he was using that also. Yeah, and <clears throat> yes, part of that building had those energies, but also we imbue buildings yeah. with those energies over time as well. Is is I always say it's like an old church. First thing anybody does when you go into a big old church is you go quiet. There's no sign up saying shut up, but you just do because no matter what your skill, no matter what your understanding, your belief, your doctrine, you just naturally sense that presence. Absolutely. Yeah, you feel the energy. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Little question here. There we go from Art Within Paintings. Do you still talk to Sir Arthur? Yes, I do. I do. Um, yeah. Um, he doesn't have to go through all the rigmarole <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I'm convinced now. I'm convinced now. But yes, he's still around. Yeah. Brilliant. Lovely. Here's an interesting one from Julie Casewell. Can you see the question on the bottom of the screen? Loving this. I'm being very brave here. We have Sir Arthur Conan Doyle coming through our circle. He came through very similar with dropping in clues. Yes, I don't doubt that at all. Um, in fact, um, I gave a talk to the Society of Psychical Research in London, um, I can't remember, it was a few years ago now, and I hadn't quite published the book, but I gave them some of the information. And there was no less than three people in that room that came forward and, say, and sort of confided in me and said, he's communicating with us as well. So I don't doubt it. And as, as I said earlier, I, I, I don't claim to be unique. Um, I am sh absolutely sure that Arthur Conan Doyle is, is continuing his, mi his mission to get the message across. So I'm sure he will be um, in your circle as well. Was that Julie, I think? It was. Um, um, so, um, yes, 
Julie, love to hear more of that, Julie. And, um, and he's a lovely, lovely person and a lovely energy. And I'm sure you will enjoy that. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, where was it? Do, do, do. Sorry. Um, just, oh, there we go. Little message here from a colleague. <laughs> Hazel. Hello, Hazel. <laughs> the building of the nothing holds such amazing energy. I'm so blessed to be able to work there with Anne and her team. Yes, Hazel's one of our mediums. Uh, Hazel's lovely and uh, she's been with us a number of years. So she's very well, well aware of the energy in the building as well. So thanks, Hazel. And here, oh, here we go. Here's a question. <laughs> Dominic. Hi, Dominic. Um, uh, he's known, I, is he? <laughs> I know. I know Dominic as well. He's an excellent medium. He is. He is very, very good. And he is. He'll be working at the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre. I think it's next year. Um, um, so, how do I see mediumship develop in the future? Ah, oh, I think that's a question for you, not me. Um, um, I, I'm, I, I, I wonder if spirit will use more technology in future. That's where I think it's going. Um, just, as, just as we're learning to use more technology um, now, because everyone's at home using Zoom and all these other things, um, and I, I, I have a number of instances from my psychic investigations of spirit using technology, and, and I think they will continue to do that. And I think... Um, the evidence will become more apparent um, because perhaps they will use technology maybe eventually to allow us to see that we can already hear them through the technology, but and sometimes we see them too. So I, I think um, it will develop that way. And I think also um, we will all be mediums. We will all be able to... It's, it's not... Um, it shouldn't be a preserve of the, the few it should be a direct contact. That's my view anyway. I know I'm doing you out of a job, Dominic, but, <laughs> but um, I believe that um, we should all be able to do this. If I can just add something there, uh, because this is something that's uh, going through the ether at the moment and been asked quite a lot. My vision is we've got to come up with a new term for mediums. Because to me, we are all mediums. We may not be the mediums that will be able to bring through contacts and provide evidence, but we do in spiritualism just have this propensity to everybody walking through the door, right? You're either going to be a medium or a healer. And that's yeah. it. You know, we're all open to the inspiration of spirit. And that is mediumship. That is receiving from spirit, whether it be evidence, inspiration, art, painting, whatever. And I believe very much that this is part of what is going on now, that people's mediumships are being opened up and utilized. And we've, like you said earlier, we've got to look for the clues and understand what that is and accept what that is. You know, I'm quite happy <clears throat> not being a medium working on a platform. I'll be quite happy sitting there being able to write books or write poetry or paint um, or garden or cook or bring people together or heal. You know, there are so many aspects. So I think I'm not being pedantic, but just the term mediumship, I think we've got to accept in a broader sense. And yeah. just... 
Yeah, sorry, it's your evening. I, I, <laughs> I'm I, waffling on. <laughs> no, no, you know, I, th I think you're you're absolutely right. And if I can put a sort of more uh, practical um, angle on that one, is, you know, I, I was not a medium when this happened to me. I was a banker. I was I was a workaholic. I was a career woman, and suddenly, I'm propelled into this world that I knew absolutely nothing about. Nothing. Um, and, and so, you know, I've analysed, you know, why should all this happen and what's the purpose of it? And I, and I, as I said at the beginning of my talk, you know, um, traumatic as this was, it was it was done for a purpose. It was done for a reason. And let's face it, it would have had to be something pretty dramatic to stop me in my tracks because I was single-minded. I was so driven and determined. And there was no room in my world for anything else but, but work. And then suddenly I'm stopped in my tracks. And I believe it was because I was required to do a job. And my job was to find a building, to be able to, to know enough about banking and finance to find a repossessed building and know how to buy it and how to refurbish it and how to set it up um, as a centre. Now, now, these are uh, professional work business skills. Um, so, but, but that was still doing a job for spirit. So just as you say, Laurie, it's not simply um, or you give everyone a message or you're a healer. I think you can work for spirit in lots of different ways. And as long as you're sensitive enough to pick it up and you just have to follow the clues, you don't have to be, you know, I, I used to say, you know, I didn't really do anything unique. I just did what I was told. I just followed the clues and they did it all. And I just followed and, and I had trust enough to do what I was asked to do. Very, tr very true. I took early retirement and I thought, right, I know my skills, I'm good at organising, I'm good at motivating, I'm good at getting things together and planning and seeing things through and looking for the finer detail. So I'm going to go and work for a charity or something where my skills could actually reap rewards for a charity. Well, after six months of retiring, suddenly I was thrust into the presidency of the church and it took me three months to realise. I went, oh! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Anne, I can't thank you enough for tonight. It's been absolutely awesome. Somebody here, the lovely, where are you, Sue Townsend, has asked a question that I'm dying to ask you. So maybe you could come back and talk about psychic phenomenon too. <laughs> Yes, yes, I can talk about investigations and more of the physical phenomenon that happened in the, in, in the building, the two buildings that I've talked about. Yes, I would love to. Um, that's me. That's thankfully Sue's inviting me rather than inviting myself. So, yeah. <laughs> Please invite yourself. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> A lot of wonderful comments coming in here. Absolutely enjoying it. Uh, Excellent talk. Oh, a viewer from YouTube channel. Hello, Ewan. Thank you, sir, for joining us. I know Ewan as well. He's one of our mediums as well. So ah, right. Hello, um, Ewan. <laughs> some, some of the people from the Arthur Conan Doyle Centre on. So thanks for being on, Ewan. No, that's smashing. That's smashing. Uh, the lovely Joan here joining us from Illinois in the USA. Uh, thoroughly enjoying the evenings. A very ardent supporter now of all things spiritual. A response there from Dominic. 
Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And as I said, Dominic's an excellent medium, so I can I can thoroughly recommend him as well. Right. <laughs> Look out, Dominic, your name's getting written down. <laughs> you you might get a, a message, not from above. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you, Fiona. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mary. It. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope you'll uh, buy the book as well. <laughs> indeed. I will put the link up once more for the book. And as I say, if anyone would like a, a dedicated a copy signed, then if you go to, to the Africon and Doe site, africonandoecentre.com, um, I will happily uh, dedicate it to you and sign it for you. Um, if you're abroad, you're probably as well going on to Amazon. But if you're in the UK, um, I'd be happy to do that. Brilliant. That was very generous of you, Anne. Thank you. The link is up there. Um, all that remains is to say thank you so much. Uh, viewers aren't aware, the lovely Anne is taking a break at the moment until I'm muscled in and go, oi. <laughs> <laughs> and you enjoy your break, my darling. It's so well deserved and such an informative evening. Of surpassed surpassed all my expectations absolutely oh, that's, wonderful that's very generous of you but but thank you so much for inviting me oh there's joan i know joan as well she's another one of our mediums they must, <laughs> they must be all they must be all on tonight so thank you joan and she's saying the book's excellent uh, thank you for the plug but but laurie thank you for inviting me it's been a pleasure i've enjoyed it as well and i hope your audience has too and I, yes i'll be happy to come back anytime Brilliant. Thank you so much. Just a very quick update for followers of the Church Facebook page and YouTube channel of upcoming events. Tomorrow morning at 9am, we have our online meditation. On Sunday afternoon, streamed live is our service held here within the church. And this Sunday, our medium is Mark Stone. Monday night at 7pm, we also have another online meditation. And then next Wednesday, again, streamed live, the church service, and that's with David and Irene Jackson. The services are at 3 p.m. For those local to us in the area, we are now offering spiritual healing from 1 to 1.45 p.m. So thank you all for joining us tonight. And I am just so indebted to you. This has been a seminal evening, absolutely fascinating. Thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure. And we bid you all good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Have a wonderful evening. Good night.